Welcome back to another episode of Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. This is Jessica. I'm Mikey. And we are back. Second episode today. But you don't know that. Yeah, it doesn't matter to you. Uh, season 2, episode 10, Dispute Between Brothers. Um, it is written... they call this? Uh-huh. <laughs> it was Yikes. written by Trisha Brock, directed by Tina Rathborn. Pretty stoked to have a lady writing team, lady writing and directing team. Mm-hmm. Strong start for me. I don't recognize Trisha... Was it Brock or Brooke? Brock. Brock. Uh, I don't recognize that name. But I, this is Tina Rathborn's second episode. She directed one pretty early in the first season. There's no episode about, or excuse me, no episode, no page about Trina Brock on TwinPeaks.Fandom.com. So I'm just gonna go ahead and look her up. But Tina Rathborn, Trisha, Trisha did. Brock. I don't remember what episode she did, but she did one, I think, in first season. Trisha Brock is a director-producer known for Killer Diller, The Walking Dead. Short directed 30 Rock. <laughs> yeah, she directed a lot of things that are sort of in our personal oeuvre. She, Who are you looking at? Are you Tina? Uh, Brock. Trisha oh, Brock. She directed stuff, too? Yeah. Oh, okay. She's the director. No. Trisha no? Brock was the writer. Tina Rapp oh, okay. What she is looks like she is generally a director by trade. She got a couple episodes of The L Word, Veronica Mars, which we're watching right now, Grey's Anatomy, Pushing Daisies, Gossip Girl. She directed all these. Mm-hmm. Cool. Episodes. Oh, a couple really good episodes of Thirty Rock. Cool. United States of Terra. Yeah, I like her. Community. There we go. Walking Dead. Anyway, no, I've never heard of her before. And then Tina Rathborn is... Her second Twin Peaks episode. I don't know of her beyond Twin Peaks, but... Um, yeah, she didn't do much else. This is the last thing she's directed. Really? Mm-hmm. She uh, uh, directed episode 1.4, and then this one. Episode 1.4 was... Oh, is that the funeral episode? Um, What's it called? Cooper. It, name? it does not. It just says episode 1.4. Cooper meets Aud- meets with Audrey. He confesses to leaving him the note about one-eyed Jacks. Cooper tells Truman he can't remember who the killer was in his dream, but insists the dream is a code to... Yeah, it's a funeral episode. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Cool. That's a big swing for, uh, for her. Okay. For, yeah, for somebody who doesn't even seem to have credits. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you hear noise in the background, I tried to give our dog a delicious treat to chew on to leave us alone. They can't hear that. You don't know that I edit this. You can hear fucking everything. <laughs> it's the worst. Okay, so we're going to start with Log Lady intro. This is something that's not available on streaming, um, but it is something that was written by Lynch and performed by um, the Log Lady as sort of a really <laughs> vague intro to what's going on. So... Complications set in. Yes, complications. How many times have we heard, it's simple. Nothing is simple. We live in a world where nothing is simple. Each day, just when we think we have a handle on things, suddenly some new element is introduced and everything is complicated once again. What is the secret? What is the secret to simplicity, to the pure and simple life? Are our appetites, our desires undermining us? Is the cart in front of the horse? Is it, Michael? That's it? Is yeah, that's the end. Preach. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's jump in. So, <laughs> Like, I don't... Yeah, do, there's... I don't, I don't, I don't have any <laughs> insight there. Um, Doc Hayward checks in on Sarah. Uh, so Sarah lost her daughter at the beginning of this and just lost her husband. Oh, you said this is the first time we do three days later. Yeah, this is the first time jump in the series. Otherwise, everything seemingly picks up more or less where the last episode ended. Right. Or the next morning or whatever. Which I like. I, I like that yeah. kind of element. It, it does. Except that there's things that are like, the show feels like it's been a month or so. And you're like, it's been like three weeks. Yeah. 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 That does. Yeah. That is tricky when you're like, oh, this person, all of a sudden this happened to them. It's like, well, they were fine yesterday. Yeah. Like I mean, Cooper got shot and is just fine. Yeah. You know, like. 
Um, so Doc Hayward checks on Sarah, who refuses a sedative, saying Which, she needs to be present what at the, the funeral. Fuck is- Hayward giving like um, he's constantly giving Sarah sedatives. This that, like, honestly feels like a callback to sort of earlier twentieth century um, medicine. So closer. To, this is just my read up, yeah. read on it. Is it was very very common in the early part of the twentieth century right. to be like, here, take this sedative, and it was usually opium or sure. take this thing. Like you're tired, take this thing. It's basically like but in coke. Or, what the fuck are we doing? I mean, maybe it's just the equivalent of giving someone like a Valium or a, a Xanax or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it just seems like that's always been... Although it's always intravenous yeah. or like injected, which is why. Like yeah. It's, yeah, that's They're true. constantly pumping Sarah full of drugs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's why, like, let her fucking grieve. Yeah. I don't know. It just, it always felt weird to me. Yeah. Uh, Cooper tells Sarah that Leland fell prey to dark forces, that he did not commit the crimes. Uh, Sarah remembers her version of Bob. Yeah, this I don't like. Like, based on our entire conversation... An hour ago? Last (laughs) week slash an hour ago. um, This feels like they're very much trying to... to to Get Leland off the hook. This isn't Leland's fault. This is Bob's fault. Put the blame (sighs) there. It feels very, like... For the like, for the viewer, for the I like, understand what you mean, but I would I would read this in a way of Cooper is doing this to for Sarah of like he didn't he's giving her the best possible reading of it because like yeah, what but, good is it to be like yeah you were married to a fucking monster maybe or I yeah, don't know I I I don't I, I don't mind this in a framework of but comforting I feel the like victim the way he says things isn't comforting as much as it's. He gives more information than he needs to if he's being comforting. Like, I genuinely believe, you know, he says he saw Laura at the end and I genuinely believe she forgave him. And all, like, all this stuff that you don't need to say. You can comfort somebody without saying those things. And I think Cooper is smart enough to not say those things if he doesn't believe them. Sure, that's fair. So I, it feels very much like they're getting Leland off the hook, which I'm not a, a big fan of. Um, I understand that, and I don't think you're wrong. I do. I am okay with this in a narrative perspective of like we figured out that it's really Bob, but he used Leland, mm-hmm. and we're gonna we don't have time for that kind of philosophical conversation. Let's move this on we're blaming it on bob leland was a a, a unlucky you know bystander you so we, you mean the characters in the show or the audience and the viewers and the uh, both okay because i feel like that's kind of where this this show takes a fork in the road is that the last episode was really hitting home mm-hmm. with the who's to blame let's investigate this trauma and understand how and why and and what's important is the question yeah and all that and then and then the very next episode they're like nah it's all good (laughs) you know what i mean i that that i don't like which is fair and i get that i don't and i don't necessarily disagree with you i i wonder though if this is just a glimpse into like david lynch has kind of stepped away from this project for a while so the people who are currently in charge don't know what the right answer is and so it's easier oh, for them that's to absolutely what oh, okay. is, I think and, and that's the problem is well no no okay so Frost and Lynch aren't as involved and they're not giving the direction to be what it needs to be so they're just doing what they're yeah. doing okay then I guess we're kind of on the same page of like either way in the story in the storytelling itself it necessarily is vague because the people making it don't have the answers and like what I, I feel like the wait. I f- feel like you're. My problem is that it's not vague. He basically says Leland is off the hook. Bob is the killer, and I hate that. Uh, the, my problem is that they take away the vagueness in this scene. Yeah, I don't. I understand. What you mean I just disagree. I, I to me, I read it more as like Cooper is telling Sarah what she needs to hear at that moment. Okay. 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 
Um, Cooper says that Leland had drugged Sarah to keep his secrecy and tells Sarah about Leland's death. Uh, Which she doesn't seem to react to. Yeah, she ten. I, I feel like she didn't have a moment to recover from her daughter's death, and then her husband died, and she's just like spiraling. Sure, but like to say you were drugged so that he could kill your daughter and your niece and all this stuff and do all these awful things to your daughter. He tells her this, and she's just like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Like, there's no reaction to that, sure. which is odd. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Cooper offers to drive Sarah to Leland's funeral. Uh, then we cut to after the funeral. We're back at the Palmer's house, I think. Um, and people are dropping the blandest white people food off. Well, but just food. <laughs> food is always, like, hopeful in this show. Like... Good comes with food. Yeah. Uh, every, you know, cherry pie is all redeeming. Mm-hmm. All this, you know, coffee and yeah. everything good is surrounded by food. And this is, this is the, the funeral scene is a hopeful scene. Like it's, sure. you know, I I enjoy this. And then you just see the, the tons of food getting mm-hmm. laid out on the table. Yeah. Uh, Nadine, who, if we remember, thinks she's 16 or 18. 18. 18. Um, she's got a new eye patch. We noticed. Uh, she yeah, wears. It's, it's oddly like slimmer. Yeah. And, like not bulky. It's, yeah. It's weird, and I don't. I wonder why that is. Yeah, I don't know. Um, she wears a dress and shiny. Uh, she wears patent leather shoes. That she's like. We see her sort of. She's uh, worried about them. Reflect- well, we see her kind of polishing up her shoes, and then she sees her own reflection in it. Um, Hank. Uh, hand Sarah a plate as she chats with Eileen Hayward and Audrey. More importantly, he does the thing where he like stops to tell Norma, "Look, I made a plate for Sarah. Like, <laughs> look how good I'm doing." I'm so like yeah. this performative good guy thing of which like, is he's funny standing there with the plate for a little while yeah. and then sees Norma and then it's like, "Oh, I'm going to give this." To yeah, him. like it's, it's so per- like I can't just do a nice thing. I have to also get credit. For and it's it. so funny because we're constantly comparing him and Ed, and Ed is just like dedicating his life to his deeply mentally ill wife. Yeah. yeah. For no gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Perfect. Yeah. Uh, Donna tells Big Ed that James thinks the town's devastation is his fault, even though Ed tells her James will return. Uh, Dr. Jacoby, first time I, we've seen him this season. They, ju- they jumped a little bit. I really like the weird dynamic of Sarah Palmer, um, Donna's mom, Mrs. Hayward. I don't remember her name right now. Eileen. Mm, Eileen Hayward, thank you. And oddly, Audrey Horn sitting on the couch together. It's like a weird dynamic, but like. Yeah. Those are like the accidental dynamics that happen at things like funerals. Mm -hmm. And the way they talk to each other is just honest Mm -hmm. and sweet. Like, it feels like that's a sequence you don't get if you're not written and directed by women. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I, it's just a great little scene and, and not, you know, nothing on the giant overarching plot comes out of it, but like. Well, it's a reminder that this is a small town. Everybody yeah. knows each other. Yeah. Even if we don't necessarily see them interact. And yeah. And, and even like, it's just it's particularly the way Eileen and, and Sarah talk to each other is really great. And like the way Audrey uses her s- character's sarcasm of like, you know, everyone thinks they're helping out when they bring you f- like, yeah, let me just take that food and put it on the table because yeah. you don't fucking want it yeah. right now. You're not like hungry. just all that whole sequence is just a really good mm-hmm. nugget. And in what is, you know, forming the you know the groundwork for some bad episodes. Sure. Because this episode's not terrible. No. Um, but it definitely we're on the precipice of you, not you greatness. Can, they're planning the seed. This is the start of some some terrible storylines. Yes. Yeah. Um. And Doctor Jacoby, who we haven't seen in a minute, mm-hmm. uh, and he looks great. Dr. Jacoby greets police officers and Cooper notes that he might take a few weeks vacation. Is this when he brings up fishing? Cooper says, like, I've accrued some vacation time. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll take a break. And then that's when Major Briggs says, can I interest you in some night fishing? Oh. Night fishing. Okay. 
Uh, Nadine asks Ed if people can see her. It says underwear here. She says underpants, which is, I think, a very like toddler-esque word, yeah. which I'm really into. Um, asks if people it's, can see her underwear and the reflection in her shoes. Like, I know there was the book that got turned into a musical of do black patent leather shoes really reflect up? Oh. But I don't know. Like, is it more than that? No, it's just a thing. It's just a thing from like. Was that re- like really a th- like? Wh- no, it's absolutely a mid-century thing of okay. of girls wore patent leather shoes, and it was always a thing. Or like, I don't know if this ever actually happened, but boys would put like mirrors on the tops of their shoes so they can see up girls' dresses. Well, we really normalized perviness in the. In the 20th century, or like I just I knew of that book slash musical, but mm-hmm. didn't know if was the book slash musical what perpetuated that idea, or no, was I that was a cultural actual reflection. I think that was a cultural thing um, because I remember it being a joke that would like it. I don't think I ever really wore patent leather shoes except for like fucking tap dancing. Um, but it was a joke that I heard made, I think, by my mom or whomever of like, oh, make sure boys can't see up your, fo- your shoes, which is another like cool way we attach sexuality to young girls and make them responsible for yeah. the actions the men do around also, them. Like, so that's cool. And what fun. the fuck could you possibly see in like rounded shoes? Yeah. Like, you know, some white cotton underwear and maybe some pubes. <laughs> Like, yeah, I don't know. But I don't like, know what the appeal... Like, what, do you want to look at a girl's crotch? Even if you crotch? Had, like, a very clear image and you could get close to the shoes to see a solid reflection, like, you couldn't see anything. Boys are pervos. That's sort of what I learned when I was six and have had to... Men are the worst. The true worst. Um, Sarah tells Donna of... Oh, Sarah tells of Donna and Laura's childhood pledge to be best friends forever. Um, Harry and Ed break up a fight between Dwayne and Dougie Milford. They're this brothers. Is, they're the brothers, and it's the mayor of yeah. the town. Yeah. This was a lot of, like, They'll, local color was happening a lot in this. What's that? Local color was happening a lot. Like, local and, but also, they're, they're reminding you of characters that have existed, that mm-hmm. haven't been in the story, that are about to be in the story. So, Dw- Dougie and Dwayne are going to be... Yeah. Characters. Yeah. They, you know. Which one's uh, the mayor? Uh, fuck. I don't remember. It's, I know which one is the mayor. It's so, the one who's got the, the, the stereotypical old man voice. They all sound like that to but me. Um, he, I know, I never remember which one's Dougie and which one's Dwayne. Lieutenant Colonel Douglas Dougie Milford was a United States Air Force officer specifically assigned to investigations concerning UFOs. That's getting into the secret history of Twin Peaks, the book. Okay. None of that is brought up at all until the book. And Dwayne Milford is Dwayne a pharmacist is, and the mayor of Twin okay, Peaks. I, Dwayne, so du- yeah, Dwayne is the mayor. Um, okay, so pew, pew, pew. Pete explains to Cooper about the ongoing feud between the two brothers and that Dougie is engaged to a beautiful teenage girl. Vomit everywhere. This is where I committed suicide. Teenage? Did they say teenage? Oh, they absolutely I say knew she teenage. Was young, but I didn't know. He said she was... teenage. Uh, this man is a perv O. I'm gonna stick his head in the gutter where it belongs. Oh. Wayne, now knock it off. Knock it off. Remember where you are and why we're here. Please. Uh, They seem uh, to be having fun. The mayor and his brother. Uh, Dougie owns the newspaper. They've had a running feud going for 50 years. Nobody knows how it started. Something about an old flame and a rumble seat. I don't even think they remember anymore. Uh, well, the nest's a little stirred up right now. Uh, Dougie's engaged to be married to a babe. <laughs> For the fifth time? She's still in her teens. He's 110. One of those uh, January, December sort of deals. <laughs> you remember the first time Dwayne ran for mayor? When was that? Oh, um, 62? Yeah, 1962. Yeah. 
<laughs> Dougie wrote an editorial, came out against Duane, and Duane was running unopposed. Harry, <laughs> I'm really gonna miss this place. It's ugh. Okay, Daddy just came downstairs. She definitely buried a bone in our bed, so just <laughs> keep an eye out for that when you go to bed tonight, Mikey. Um, Ed and Jacoby ask the high school assistant principal to let Nadine attend classes. Yeah. Boring, boring, boring. Okay, Cooper. Oh, so I mean, we here. Okay, they. This is you get someone in the sound department knew what was up and tried to warn you every time you're starting a really, really bad storyline. Oh, every time with the music. So whenever you hear that fucking song, that's like the guitar riff. That's like. You know you're in for a terrible storyline. Yep. So they're setting up now the whole fucking Nadine in high school with super strength mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> which, like, was a quirky, weird element in Twin Peaks as long as it was relegated to, like, way off onto the side. Yeah. They're bringing it front and fucking center. And it's, it's such a nothing now. burger of a storyline. Like, there's no... because it Because you are investigating it. You seeing it like when it was just like, is she super? That's weird. Whatever, because all all it is is like, oh, she bends the rower. Uh Oh, she rips her restraints off at the hospital. But like, whatever. And uh, now she's like throwing fucking dudes, and like it's just so ridiculous. It's so bad, and it's rooted in nothing. Which that's not to say that everything in Twin Peaks isn't is uh, that nothing in Twin Peaks isn't like a little random. But this just doesn't have any grounding anywhere. Right. And and it might, but not with anybody who's doing their current writing. Right. Um, okay, so we're back at the Great Northern. Cooper is packing his bags. He's aggressively folding underwear in a way that <laughs> I've never seen before. Yeah. Um, Audrey walks in. Audrey, And he's, he's wearing buttoned-up tight, you know, yeah. full shirt and tie mm-hmm. all the with way his... up. But he's still got his, like... Like cargo vest. Yeah. Like um, Audrey walks into his room, and boy, I cannot emphasize enough. Maybe if you're a 17 year old high school girl, you shouldn't walk into grown men's rooms. They'll murder you sooner or later. It's just a matter of time. Um, Audrey asks whether he's leaving and about his romantic history. He confesses that he hurt someone who is a witness to federal crime, and that he and his partner Wyndham Earl let her die, and Wyndham lost his mind. I. Loved this monologue that he gave. Mm-hmm. I think it is. I, I think the cool thing about Cooper is he tends to be um, very much like he is what he is. He says what he thinks. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. He doesn't put up a facade for mm-hmm. anybody. But this moment of him experiencing, re-experiencing, or reliving this tragedy that that broke him killed the woman he loved and sent his former partner and give and, uh, but, and delivering it in a way that's also like I'm not gonna give you I'm not gonna dive into this with well, you and I liked that it what I think the relationship between Cooper and Audrey is while unsavory mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. um but I like the way he's like, I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to try to scare you off. I'm not going to try to, I'm going to tell you what happened with the last person I was involved with. It is very much him being like, you do not want to be a part of this yeah. shit. And he, and oh, you won't take my hints. You won't take me saying, please leave me alone. Yeah. Okay, here's what happened. The last woman I was involved with fucking died. Does that sound cool to you, Audrey? Here, and here's that scene, because that to me, like you just said, that feels like Cooper. That's mm-hmm. Cooper. That's why I don't like the scene between him and Sarah Palmer. Talking about Leland and whatever. I don't think Cooper would ever sugarcoat things mm. in that way. I think I think Cooper will omit certain elements mm-hmm. to protect people or whatever. But he's not going to say something he doesn't truly believe. So him saying, I think he's... I think Leland is off the hook is making it so that Cooper genuinely believes that. And you don't think Cooper believes it? I don't. Or I don't think think he should. I... At least. Disagree somewhat. I think that Cooper... I don't think he's being disingenuous when he says he doesn't believe that Leland 
left to his own druthers would ever do anything like that. I, I don't think he thinks that Leland is responsible in any meaningful way. That would be my take yeah. on it. Yeah. And it's the thing is, it's very complicated, as if you listen to our last episode, mm-hmm. it was two hours of us like parsing through that. I think it's complicated, but I... While I, you're right, and it's exactly what I said, Cooper says what he means, I also think he knows how to tell people what they need to hear and not in a, like, t- so he can manipulate them, just mm-hmm. in a way of, like, she doesn't need to understand the the well, shit but- that's going on. Same way, like, he didn't think Audrey needed to hear that Cooper's last girlfriend fucking died yeah. until she kept pushing him to the point where he's like, fine. This is why I'm saying what I'm saying. Sure. Like, I, I don't think... I think he's a blank... I think he's a... Uh, he's very forward, but is also very Protective. emotionally intelligent of, like, what sure. people should hear. I get that. Yeah, and I, I just... I think... I don't know. I was going to say a pseudo-counterpoint, but whatever. Okay. I remember, so move on. <laughs> Audrey warns him that... Warns him? Oof. Audrey says that one day she'll be grown up. And then he'll have to watch out, which I thought this was fine. That's sweet. I think, I think it's sweet. I think it's that's young and that's cutesy. And yeah. that's, that's, it I'm didn't totally make me deeply uncomfortable just, the way along. And he, and he has a, uh, he plays along with it with like, because I'll watch out. Because the reality is, even if, say he's what, seven, eight, even 10 years older than yeah. him, like you're, that's totally reasonable. Yeah. Once, you're, once she's of age. Yeah. You're and, six years older yeah. than, to, than me. And we started dating when I was 24. So like, we, and I think it's no, interesting. No, 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 we didn't. We oh, started dating when I was twenty-four. Got, but we, met, I got, I got confused because it was we met when I when, when I you was were twenty-four. 24. Right. Well, and that's the thing is like we met when Mike was twenty-four and I was eighteen. We worked together, and, and I didn't even. It wasn't even fat. Like I didn't even consider it. I wasn't like, the hot, ungettable girl that you didn't even you, know my name. I was. In love with you. You were Mikey G. Are I you fucking you kidding me right now? I didn't know your last name because you, no, you were Mikey you didn't G. Realize Mikey G is not a formal name. How could I have known that the the picture on your Facebook was you in fucking goggles, like you're like DB Cooper? Like no, I didn't know D. who Cooper. Yeah, fight me about it. I've had a crush on Mikey since I was 18, and boy, oh boy, if 34-year-old Jessica could tell 18-year-old Jessica what her future was, she'd be... Fine. Underworld? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love you with all of my heart. You're a liar. You don't think I love you with all of my heart? Maybe. I got off the rails, huh? Regardless, that, that sort of cute... You know, yeah, no, I'm gonna I, be. This, I'm gonna be in my twenties someday. I really think once they decided early on in this series, Cooper and Audrey will not get together. Mm-hmm. They really do a, an excellent job throughout the rest of the series of elegantly dancing around all of their. Secrets. I think he's managing her exactly, and I think they do. A, they shift that focus, and they write it so well, and he performs it so well. That they do an excellent job of how it would be in this act. Yeah. If this scenario was really presented where she was desperately in love with this guy and he wasn't going to have it. Mm-hmm. This is how it would be. Yeah, and I think they do that really, really well. Saving her feelings. But yeah. Um, all right. Bobby tries on one of Leo's suits to get ready to meet with Ben Horn. Um, Shelly mentions. It's a great shot. Opening shot of mm-hmm. you see Bobby trying on the suit and then mm-hmm. it pans up and the mirror is sitting on. Leo's laugh. Yeah, and you see Shelly draped Who over the give back a of fuck back about... of his uh, wheelchair. Yeah, I kind of like this evol. I want to talk through this evolution of Shelly's character a little bit. Okay, because she okay, so she went from this physically and emotionally abusive relationship that she has with her husband mm-hmm. to this very storybook teen romance that she has with Bobby. Uh, they were kind of happening, I think, simultaneously. Well, yeah. I, she... Relationship-wise... Yes, you're right. There's overlap. But she went from, like, I'm married to a man who hurts me to, like, I'm with this boy who thinks I'm beautiful and perfect and wonderful. And then all of a sudden, reality sets in. And now she's starting... To, like, she says, when he tries on Leo's suit... When he tries on Leo's suit, she says... Oh, yeah, Leo bought that recently. 
it fits a little tighter on him or something like that in a way that I I think she meant to be like a dig at Bobby of like oh you're just a scrawny boy and hmm. Leo was 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 a stout man and so I think she's going through this weird I don't know if it's like fucking uh, well she's clearly dealing with both extremes of this guy's a fucking monster this guy's the shitty puppy love but actually doesn't care mm-hmm. like she's questioning her own worth honestly if i were shelly i'd be questioning questioning my heterosexuality at that point of <laughs> like oh this is what men are gonna bring me in well, my life. I mean, yeah. somebody beats the shit out yeah. of me the other guy is that, like that makes it sound like heterosexuality is a choice but um don't look at me like that. I, 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 but I think the biggest thing now is that she's quit her job at the Double R, mm, and this is her whole life. Her entire life is this. More so, her only guiding light in her life was Norma. Mm. Norma's not there anymore. Yeah, because she's not seeing her every day at the Double R. Yeah, like all of a sudden she has to do everything herself, and. Leo is non-existent, mm-hmm. and Bobby is off doing his own fucking whatever shit, and, and he's doing it shim- f- and popping in every once in a while, and then trying to tell her that I'm doing this for us. Yeah, but he's no, doing, you're fucking not. He's acting as if he's doing it for right. them, which but is probably real- exactly how fucking her relationship with Leo started. Mm-hmm. I know? hate you because I love you. Or yeah, and whatever. she has no guiding light anymore, and yeah, like yeah. what is she supposed to fucking do, like? All she asked for was like, hey, can we go out tonight? And mm-hmm. he was like, no, I can't. I got to doing this for us. I got a big meeting, whatever. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? The meeting's going to last the next 12 hours, I guess. Right. But like, who's um, going to watch Leo? Uh. Yeah. it's And it feels a lot like young parents, which it is in a real it way. Is. Yeah. Um, but it sucks, too, because I like Bobby for the most part. But the way he treats Shelly all of a sudden is fucking awful. Yeah, I think the writing failed Bobby a little bit. But also, or he's an 18-year-old kid and has been saddled with something he did not... That's probably realistic. I think he genuinely thought we're going to wheel Leo into a corner and we're going to get, whatever, six grand a month Mm -hmm. and live our lives. And that's not what's happened. I I feel like it's the same way. It's like romanticized Satan. We're going to talk about it soon. We already talked about it with... Um, with the baby that's happening with uh, Lucy, but there is a huge difference between doing having a kid in theory, being married in theory, mm-hmm. living together in theory, and then the day to day, even just being together every day. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like Bobby would sneak over when Leo was gone, mm-hmm. and now he's there all the time, all the time. Yeah. Um, okay, so Catherine meets Harry in his office and says she believes an angel saved her life. She said the night of the fire, she was afraid for the first time in her life, and she stumbled upon her old summer cabin in the woods in the dark. Only a garden a guardian angel could have led her there. She ate canned tuna and waited for her assassin. I like to see and find. I like it. I mean, I like any time Catherine's on screen. I, do, I just I enjoy too. her performance. I think it's fine. I don't get the assassin part yeah um clear i uh, agree like, i don't understand it either like they cl- yeah someone clearly tried to get her to the mill when the mill burned but i don't like they make it sound like she she made it sound like there was someone chasing her do you know what I mean? like Oh, and I found my way away from this. Well, she person. arrived there seeing Shelly tied up, and like some shit was going down. Sure, sure. But, I don't know why she thought but, it was specifically. But, I yeah, mean, she's but a thought that there was an assassin. Uh, just, I think it's just the word assassin. Yeah, assassin just sounds feels weird. weird. Like yeah. someone tried to set up a tragedy in which she was going to be killed. Right. But to think someone is also then chasing you through the woods right. is is a weird leap. Eh, she's a bit of a narcissist, so it kind of tracks. Sure, that's fair. All right, Dick Tremaine visits Lucy, waiting, uh, wanting something more important than himself to care for, and he looks forward to fatherhood. Uh, Andy says they should all be friends. Lucy tries to kiss him. 
man. Okay, so this is a a dumb scene as far as writing and story goes. But I think the direction in this scene was interesting. That's so funny because I kind of think the opposite. Really? I'm like, oh, yeah, they're on this ladder and they're doing this. I don't know. I was just... I just like the idea... It was eye rolling to me. Everyone's trying... Lucy's at the top and mm-hmm. everyone's trying to get up to her and they're... No, I get the metaphor. Okay, uh-huh. maybe. I just... It felt a little bit honest. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I don't think it was bad. It, it probably just didn't was a help little that the, 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 my taste. the writing was very... Literal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But... I don't know. Um, okay. Hawk rates him... Oops. Hawk berates Andy for the action he took in the situation. This is also a weird moment. Like, I don't remember. I think it's not my sudoku. He kind of like does a little back of the hand slap on his shoulders. Oh. Like, what are you doing? But like, it's the worst performance by Michael Horse mm-hmm. in the entire series. Like, Maybe it, he doesn't believe it. it. That's exactly it. It's None of it is warranted in any way. So it... It feels like when you see a bad actor in a sitcom mm-hmm. is what this whole, that whole well, Andy Hawk exchange is. And they've both done a tremendous job up until this point. So this, all of that bit seems so unwarranted. Well, all of a sudden they've treated like Lucy as a prize to be won, which is very new. And yeah. and because she suddenly becomes a prize, it is like a dick measuring contest it's like you be and, more manly than that guy and that's how you get the girl which and it and it, it becomes you've eliminated any of lucy's worth yeah and like so now you understand why i hate almost all movies no, no I, I, I i'm not i i know i'm you know i i didn't just learn fucking misogyny right now um but yeah like it's just and lucy is so sweet and lovable and her performance is incredible that like it just all seems so bizarre it's because lucy has just become a MacGuffin for dick tremaine and andy to fight over it's right. it's really no longer about because that's what we say like dick tremaine literally says he doesn't say i love you he doesn't say i want want to have a family with you he says I think fatherhood would be good for me. And so uh, um, uh, Lucy immediately becomes the incubator of his future progeny as opposed to any kind of partner. Here's the only thing I'll do to justify that. And maybe this was their intent, but it wasn't delivered well. You're looking at me funny. Yeah, because I don't think you can pull this off. No. So (laughs) Dick Tremaine is that. Is misogynistic as fuck. Mm -hmm. This is about me and what's good for me and Mm -hmm. whatever. Maybe I'll be a good dad and maybe you'll be the one who can help me be a good dad and whatever. Mm -hmm. And Andy is just an innocent kind of person who's just threatened by that. So he doesn't want know what to do because he doesn't want to lose. Because the entire time he never seems to understand why Lucy's mad at him or anything like that. I think Andy is naive enough. Mm. And doesn't understand that. So he's trying to compete against Dick, but like against his better judgment almost because he just doesn't understand what's happening. That's, I think that is a good theory and it holds up until the moment that Hawk steps in and says like, oh, were you going to lose this girl? Because that's so out of character for Hawk. Agree. And then that's why Hawk's, performance in that scene feels so off. I don't doubt that. Because I don't think was like, uh... Hawk is Hawk, I don't think it's warranted for Hawk to do that. Yeah. And Yet nothing... Andy's performance seems fine. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, Cooper bids Harry... Oh, this is a a sweet scene. Cooper bids Harry farewell and Harry gives him a special lure and a bookhouse boys badge. Can we say Colin McLaughlin's performance in this scene was very good so good and it's funny because like the last scene was so like a focus on toxic masculinity of like (laughs) this baby is my thing or it's your thing whereas i as much as i rail on toxic masculinity because i think it's a fucking travesty Mm -hmm. wholesome 
male friendships. Like, that's the thing. Is, it's and, not that I hate all men. I hate most men. But... <laughs> But seeing male friendships yeah. in a in an earnest way and not a like a we substitute yelling at each other for feelings way sure. is something I find sure. winning and lovely. And he takes the time to like, hey, you're going fishing tonight. I'm gonna make you this wonderful lure that works great at What's night. What's it called? It's skunk the, butt. The, the, green, the green butt skunk. I was closer than I should have been. I didn't even know what you said. I said uh, skunk butt butt skunk. Yeah, green, I said one of those the things. Green butt skunk. And, like, does that. But, like, he gives him the badge. And he... After he gives him the badge, you get this close-up of Cooper where he's... His eyes are glistening. His eyes are glistening. He's not crying. No, no, no. He's but, so and he, and he says something about, like, I'm grateful beyond the ability of words to describe or whatever. Like, Yeah, we're going to drop that in here. Major Briggs says there's a frying pan full of steelhead trout out there with my name on them. That's why I figure... You're going to be needing this. Harry. This is unbelievable. Yeah. Now, when those steelhead are running upstream, they are only thinking about one thing, sex. A green butt skunk breaks the concentration. A green butt skunk. Yeah. Tied him myself. My dad taught me how. His dad taught him. Harry, I don't know what to say. Oh, one more thing. Almost like this. Bookhouse boy, Patch. We all agreed you're one of us now. Harry, I am honored beyond my ability to express myself. You wear that in good health. If you ever need us, we'll be there. It's just a beautiful interaction and it's it's not even just like we're friends all i've ever wanted was to be part of this town and now i am and i have a badge to prove it and it's just beautiful it's a beautiful beautiful moment it's truly lovely it really is and it's again a, a man wouldn't have written or directed that no 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 i completely agree and it's and it's one of the one of the better moments in the series. It, it's so funny because I am I think if anybody's been listening to this a pretty I'm trying to decide between staunch and angry feminist. Um, Stay angry. Does that feel good for you? I like it. <laughs> um, but it's funny because a lot of my favorite moments in in film and TV tends to be men sharing earnest mm-hmm. uh, exchanges, having an earnest friendship. Like the, uh, I don't know, I'm just trying to think of like in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, like Jake and Boyle, like their, their genuine affection. Like it is the, oh God, if I could use a really bad like early odds term, it is male friendship in the absence of like no homo, but. It is just men who feel comfortable discussing their feelings with each other Mm -hmm. and expressing like, hey, you mean a whole fucking... And I'm a very verbal person, so if I like you, I tend to tell you in (laughs) many words um, and make you try to say that to me, even though certain people I'm married to don't like to give dramatic monologues. But um, I don't know. Anyway, I I think the, the sincere, earnest friendship between... Cooper and Harry's beautiful. I think Cooper's honest adoration of Twin Peaks as a whole is mm-hmm. it just like the it all comes down to like men being emotionally present and vulnerable, which happens so infrequently that anytime I, there's even a pretty good representation of it, I'm over the There's moon. a few moments in this series that are maybe not up to 2020 standards, but there's a lot of things that they do that like 
Mo- I would say 100% of the show is more progressive than when it came out. Yes. Not we necessarily. Even met Denise yet. Yeah, not necessarily all of it is 2020 appropriate. But it's progressive for its time. Exactly. Everything is progressive for its time. Mm-hmm. And I. I think that's one of the reasons this has got so much staying power is people want to see that like, like, like there's this, there's this beautiful friendship between Cooper and Truman. This like, they're, they're connected at a, at like this level that's transcending. Yeah. It's almost transcending. But there's not like a, Oh, will we be edgy and make them like gay for each other. Like, oh my god! Do you I know would I mean? watch a version of Twin Peaks where Cooper and Harry hook up. In fact, that's my next project. Hey, it's me, Jessica Grave. I am asking you to sponsor my Twin Peaks reboot when Cooper and Harry fuck. And I'm so stoked about it. But no, I, I understand your point of like letting men have earnest feelings for right, each other without it that are being not like sexual. oh let's make it gay let's, that aren't let's, sexual. let's like oh if we make them gay that's that's progressive right no being progressive is just not being afraid of fucking your emotions yeah you know like yeah, yeah. it's yeah. you can and all of all of those little things i feel like there's several they i mean they talk about you know, abortion with Lucy. They well, talk that's about. That's what I was just like, thinking, Mikey. Is Andy that being sterile? Like all these things are like bits, but like also it's things like, people go through. Yeah. Well, and and what I'm realizing, kind of in hindsight, looking back on thus far in season two, is we know Lucy's pregnant, and absolutely nobody shapes her for being pregnant, quote unquote, out of wedlock. Sure. Nor does anybody shame that she had sex with two men. Sure. Nobody. When Andy finds out she's at an abortion clinic, it's not the moral heart, like, being horrified. It's, I just learned what was happening, and now this is getting away from me. Even just in this episode when she says, or maybe it's the last episode, she says, like, I'm going to have this baby. And they're like, okay. I think it was this one. I think it's this one where she says... It's the last one because it's right before the smoke of the cigarette. But, But yeah, and she says... And she distinguishes between, like, biological far- father mm-hmm. and emotional father, which is, like, I feel a thing I, we don't do as often sure. as we should now. I, you're right. It's, but there like, are things that are so deeply Relationships and the humanity of this show is so far advanced mm-hmm. for 1990. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think that speaks a lot for Lynch and his ability to craft characters that are... And Frost. I think, I think yeah, a lot yes, of that is you're Frost. Right, you're right, I think. you're right, you're right. But just all of it, everybody involved yeah. is, you know, and the way the characters portray certain things and stuff, I think it's all very, like, innocent but dark. I, I think, I don't know, it's just... Well, I think the, in general, and this isn't true of everybody, but anybody I think that Cooper interacts with in this show is light and all of the shit that's going on is so dark and scary. But almost every person Cooper interacts with is a positive interaction. Oh, he's a beacon of light. Yeah. Sure. Yes. Yeah, 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 if that's what you're... Okay. Um, okay, so the sweet scene happens. Cooper bids farewell to uh, Hawk, Andy, and Lucy. And in then... A beautiful, beautiful way. Gorgeous and perfect. And it's going in here now. <laughs> Deputy Hawk, if I'm ever lost, I hope you're the man they send to find me. May the wind be always at your back. Deputy Andy, your bravery is only exceeded by the size of your heart. A rare combination indeed. Lucy, my best to you and yours. Now you better invite me to that wedding, whoever the lucky man might be. It almost it almost sounds like he said you know he gives a I, if I'm ever lost I want you to be the one who finds me mm-hmm. which is first of all tremendous for like I don't know who jumped back on that moment but that being a season three mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. but not yet Michael yep um, and then Andy you're you're like 
this is a, a perfect example of like anti-toxic masculinity. If he says your bravery is only, um, what does he say? Is your bravery is only, um, out. Wait, can we pause? That's not going to help me remember it right now. You can say that all you want. Plus you've already dropped in the quote. Uh, you don't know me. You don't know how I edit. <laughs> but he says like your bravery, like your, your heart is the only thing bigger than your, your bravery. Whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the exact line, but basically saying that like, Oh, being manly and tough is le- is not more important mm-hmm. than being human and kind yep. and nice. And then gets to Lucy, and it's a little at first, it's a little like best wishes, Lucy. Kindest regards. But then also like when the wedding comes around, I appreciate like, and it's a beautiful exchange. It ends up being yeah. a beautiful exchange. But it's at nice. first, it's like. I've got nothing to say to you except best wishes. We don't have a close yeah. friendship, and um, that's fine. Yeah. Um, so as he, uh, as he is getting ready to leave, all of a sudden two men burst into the room, dun, and it's dun, an dun. RCMP officer and um, special agent Roger Hardy. And Hardy tells Cooper that he's suspended from the FBI because he went over the border and abandoned his jurisdiction. Well, I don't yeah, know. While he's under investigation uh, for the yeah. whole rescue of Audrey Horn debacle. Uh, Roger explains that he's in internal affairs um, and that there are allegations against Cooper's behavior in Canada and his methods. Also, one of the few black people who ever enters Twin Peaks. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. Not many of them. Do we see this guy much after this? A little bit, I think, but I he's not prolonged. Okay. Um, all right. We cut to the Great Northern where Bobby waits outside Ben's office and Audrey taunts his suit. I really like this. It felt very, it's felt very, gen- yeah, genuine. Um, the, the, whatever that basket is that she has is super weird and a forced prop of yeah. some kind. Yeah. I like what Bobby does. He does some fun spins with it. Yeah. But it's super bizarre and odd. I don't understand yeah. why that's there. Um, but Audrey's love, like, you gotta love, know the person or whatever. I love whatever. the way Bobby, like, Sticks his gum on the door on the way out. It's just so fucking like He's such an asshole. childish fake yeah. bravado yeah. that it's. Yep, that's exactly. I right. love it. I think it's a, a great, honest, yeah, character choice. But um, she kind of tells him like, "Oh, you have to know who to talk to. You get in the office." So he gets in the office, and two bodyguards <laughs> and then, drag him out <laughs> immediately. He's like, "There's a bug in my office." <laughs> it's so good. Um, all right. Also, that's your first moment, too, that you see that Ben Horn is back in his office. Mm. He's been acquitted of all charges or whatever. It's been three days. He's way over it. But he, no, but like he's still in his fucking pajamas and a fucking robe. And oh, was he? Not, I missed that. He's not shaven. Like, oh, interesting. He's back in his office, but fuck this. Yeah. Everything has been taken away from me. Yeah. I'm a fucking nobody. Yeah. Um, back to the station house, Roger interrogates Cooper about the arrest and death of Jacques Renault. Uh, then this is a great interrogate. I, the way Cooper delivers every line of like, I understand where you're coming from. I've explained my position. I take ownership of this. This didn't happen. Uh I don't know anything about that. Like I'm being very clear. It's, and, and it's and it's very like someone who's been on the other side of interrogations knows like yeah, you're not being like um, withholding for no reason uh, right. and all this stuff. like he's I'm I want to clear this up and I will take ownership of the things that I know I did that were outside jurisdiction. Well, and I also think for us personally, you're like right in this moment of the end of August 2020, there is something really amazing about a person owning mistakes they made. But and saying like, yeah, I did this thing that might have been wrong, but I did it for these five reasons. Mm-hmm. I if you think I need to be punished for this, I will accept it. Like there's something so uh, pure. pure and new right now of like, oh, you mm-hmm. can say, yeah, I fucked this one thing up, but I did either did it for a reason or I just fucked up and like, yeah, you're right. I Not should. Bad. Yeah. I, I did bad. I, I just think that's such a new, not new, but like a revisiting of yes yes novel is exactly right um king uh reveals that he'd been setting up a sting operation for six months and that cocaine is missing roger says the dea had been brought in to investigate and that cooper has 24 hours to assemble a defense 
Uh, Roger has Cooper surrender his gun and badge and then ask Harry for his cooperation. However, he refuses, saying that Cooper is the finest lawman he's ever known. Before Harry says that, there's a great little silent exchange in the doorway. Is that that? Yeah. um, Cooper's walking out. Truman's walking in. They stop in the doorframe, look each other dead in the eye, and Truman just looks at him and gives him the little, little, like, from, Truman gives you, it to Cooper? Or yeah, Truman, okay. Truman looks at Cooper and puts one finger up to his eye and gives a little downward mark down his face, which is what we've come to learn is the Bookhouse Boys slogan, which says like, hey, Stop. remember when I just gave you that Bookhouse Boys patch? Mm-hmm. We got each other's back. Yeah. I got your back. Yeah. Like, you don't have to worry about anything I'm going to say yeah. in here. And it's just a great, sweet, like, moment of yeah. like, all it took is this one little mm-hmm. symbol, and he says, like, you're fine. And he says, like, they, you know, so he gets there, and then they, and then uh, um, Truman says, like, your Royal Canadian Mounted Police or whatever, you need extradition papers, and then you need whatever other such and such papers mm-hmm. for me to make a statement. Do you have those? I didn't think you did. Yeah. Moving See on. See you never, nerds. Yeah. And it's. It's it, I love and I love those moments of like if I know the law, you know I it's just great. Um. Okay, I just kind of want to, Daddy. You're right. This is awful. Nadine tries out for the cheerleading squad and throws a male cheerleader there. <laughs> Moving on. That's what we'll do. <laughs> Shelly brushes. She throws a guy. He goes flying, and it's stupid. It's dumb. Shelly brushes Leo's teeth, and Bobby says that the meeting with. With Horn went well. Shelly asked to... It didn't. (laughs) Well, he's lying, as douchebags are wont to do. Shelly asked to put Leo in a home. Leo moves. Oh, Leo literally moves. That's a great scene. I'm trying to remember... What I'm trying to remember is... Is... When Shelly gets attacked early in season one... Was it also the Tina Rathborn episode? You know what I'm talking about with the light swinging and this, yeah, the I swinging d- of the soap. I'm wondering. I think that might be the same episode. So the terror of Lu- of Leo as an abusive mm. person, she gets it. Yeah, as a director, because like this whole scene where she starts on the 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 frame is the wheel of Leo's wheelchair on the left side of the frame. And the right side of the frame is Shelley on the phone. Mm-hmm. And then slowly the wheelchair starts creeping so that eventually she's inside the tire frame Mm -hmm. in the shot. And it's just a creepy, very slow movement thing Mm -hmm. that happens. It's terrifying. And it reminds me a lot of the early traumatic stuff that happens between Leo Leo and Shelley. And I'm wondering if it's the same director or not. Um, Because she clearly gets those sensibilities. Yeah. Um, back in the double R, excuse me, the double R. Back at the double R diner, Norma reads a bad review for the for her for her restaurant in the paper. Her mother reveals herself to be the empty Wentz. <sighs> this hate is, this. but this is why, like, you kept saying, like, why is she like ragging on? Like, she describes the food in the Great Northern with like, oh, it's a little dry and whatever, and then she complains about the thing, and I was like, this is. They were clearly setting this up. Okay, well, clearly for you. Maybe I'm not as smart as you are, Michael. Well, no, I'm, I mean... Michael, I'm not an idiot. You can't call me an idiot on our shared podcast. I'm done with my bit. Yeah, it was stupid. I hated it. You know, like, listen, I'm well, always am down for, like, a, a troubled mother daughter relationship it, I think at that's... least it puts an end to the whole fucking there's a food critic coming the thing is episode when she revealed that that she was whatever I didn't realize we had I thought that was like a one off episode thing of like oh what's his face bought tablecloths and that's like it's it feels like somebody watched the last few episodes and been like they, they everyone knew a food critic was coming but they never came yeah, that's Let's the thing everybody's on the edge of their seat about. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's one of the wrong things to fucking resolve, but yeah. at least they were fucking resolved it. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that's it. Nadine, uh, excuse me, Norma tells her to leave. Uh, Hank and Emily horse, oh, excuse me. Hank and Emmy horse around in one-eyed jacks. Emmy said, E, oh, Ernie. It, no, no, it definitely says Emmy. Every time. Yeah, Ernie Niles, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hank and Ernie horse, horse around in one-eyed jacks. Ernie saying that he will not he will not steal his wife's money. Jean interrupts our argument and explains that he needs $125,000 immediately. Ernie brags that he is hardwired to the drug industry and King enters with a briefcase full of cocaine. Yeah, this is the the Mountie that was in the scene with Cooper, Right. Which they don't do a great... Because they change his yeah. outfit. Well, they change his outfit, but like... He's not just He never gets a close-up... In either up in either version, so like, I recognize it, and I've seen this a few times, so I know. But like, there's not a strong reveal here. No, there is, and there needed that needed to be more emphasis on that. You know what's funny is I uh, recently rewatched um, a boot like uh, a version of uh, Spring Awakening, which is a musical from when I was in high school. Um, and there's like, and the thing is, they're all in. It's a bunch of bunch of kids, and they're all in like school in Germany, and so they all wear the same school uniform. Mm-hmm. And there's, I think, four boys, and some of them have like super monster hair. Like it's it's all really distinctive, really weird looking hair. That I was like, oh, why would they do this? And I realized it's because that's the it's especially on stage when you're far exactly, enough away. Exactly, exactly. And see it's facial, it's yeah. six guys who are maybe twenty, who are white guys who are all the same. Like there's yeah. one heavier guy, and then everybody else is like the same frame. And I was like, oh, that's actually really. I would never have made that choice, but it's a good directorial choice that like you know I that mean, yeah they gave this guy you know like big Skyler, blonde hair right. And- a big bushy mustache. Like Skylar Aston is in it and he wears these like whack out curls and it's like, oh no, 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 I get that. If I had seen it, if I was in the back row, I would recognize that character. And like, yeah, this guy is bright blonde. He's a real toehead, but like as soon as he wasn't in his bright red uniform, I don't know who he is. Um, Ernie says he'll take care of it. Take care of it, but is reluctant to gamble. King takes a package of the cocaine to plant in Cooper's car. Um, we're at, I guess, Harry's house. He sleeps and awakens to see a shadow creeping outside his door. He opens the door. Josie falls in with, like, some dirt sponges on her face. And then everyone collectively goes, ah, oh, shit, Josie's Finally, back. Josie. No, we've been oh, shit, Josie's We've been waiting back. for you, Josie. Nope. Um... Cooper talks with Major Briggs about the morality of his actions in the presence of Bob. Briggs asks, asks if Cooper... Yeah, so they're doing that night fishing that they talked about. I keep wanting to sing Night Swimming. <laughs> it's a great song. Mm-hmm. I, really, I think that might be R.E.M.'s best song. I'd agree. Yeah, I like that song a lot. Right. Uh, Briggs asks Cooper if he's heard of the White Lodge. Cooper excuses himself to urinate in the woods. Hey, did we need a little one-off of how much Cooper likes to piss in the <laughs> woods? Was that a good important thing for Cooper's development? This okay. It was truly so, a weird line. So while having an episode written and directed by women, you get great moments of Cooper and Truman showing genuine affection for each other and all of these great moments. You also get a woman who's like, I don't know, men probably love pissing in the woods, right? <laughs> Let's write about how he loves pissing in the woods. Like I feel like it, it, for as much great stuff as you get from a female writer, you end up with a, a, a moment yeah. like that where it's like, "Yeah, I bet men love this shit." <laughs> like, but it's 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 showing you the opposite of like every time a dude's like, "I bet chicks love this shit," it's, so we're gonna write this in the movie. <laughs> it genuinely, I, I follow a Twitter account called Men Writing Women or something similar, and there's one, and it's just like men writing about like how women just stand in the mirror naked and like think about like oh my boobs are smaller than I could be and my waist is small my face is plain but I'm somehow sexual men are trash writers they should never be allowed to write um but this reminded me of there's one of like a man oh god I think it was a it was a man writing a woman who like sat down to pee and she was like 
all the intricacies of my body took a minute to get it going. Men, on the other hand, they just have the one thing, but women are like a maze. And it's truly like, yeah, it's very dumb, but it kind of felt the same of like, I don't know, I guess men love pissing on things. I don't know. Honestly, honestly, that's exactly what it feels like is a woman who just doesn't understand men yeah or think you know is doing a very generality of oh uh, uh, man we uh, woods and pissing and guns and whatever i love guns and owls um an owl hoots and stares down at cooper a bright light flashes and major briggs disappears you also see some type of figure in the woods which never like in wearing like a duster of some kind Oh, okay. Um, but I don't. I don't. I, seemingly, that's the same figure you saw much earlier when we mentioned that they never address it again. Yeah. <laughs> Remember in the woods with Ben Horn and Leo's meeting. Yes. Oh, um, yes, 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 yes. And he's just kind of in the background. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that is the end of that. So. Uh, An okay episode. But, yeah, it's but you're, we're on the you, precipice. We're seeing some cracks in the plaster. Yeah, you're starting to see where the, the new terrible storylines are yeah. coming in. But. Okay, cool. Well, we will talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people, hosted by Michael Greif and me, Jessica Blumke Greif. Our podcast logo is by Foraker Creative. You can follow them at Foraker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week.